Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Julie Kanutra with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 162. And in today's episode, this one is designed for one single person out there in particular. And it's about, it's someone that's taking home their trained, finished pointing lab. They've never had one trained to this level before. And it's kind of scary taking it home with all the bells and whistles. So this is a podcast just for this person and their dog on what to do, how to maintain it, what to think about, what some of the guidelines are, what's important, uh, setting up a program. So that's what this is all about. And maybe it will be useful uh, for other people and other trainers and other, you know, when you're taking your dog home and someone else has done the work on it and then you get it and that's kind of scary like what do I do now and how do I keep it you know I put a lot of money into this and how do I maintain it and keep it going so that's what this one's all about but with specifics for this person and uh, their dog so the dog's been trained that means and it does all the stuff and so all the stuff means the retrieve land and water um, short long difficult easy that regardless of, I mean, there's always stuff you can throw that's going to be hard, but they are fairly skilled, and that they look at retrieving as their responsibility. This is a key point. Keep this one bearing in mind as we go through this. When you, they sit and watch something go down, right, it's their responsibility to go find it. Not you help them at the first notice because you, now you can handle. It's their responsibility. You need a dog. It, it doesn't matter whether you're competing or whether you're hunting that when they saw that pheasant go down in those cattails, they're going, all right, I got to dig in there and find it. So that's, they're trained for retrieving that way. They can handle, which means they can go to retrieve something that they never saw. That's what handling is. And that you have tools to move them in the direction of where they need to be if they're not already going that way. So that's handling. And then... Uh, she's well broken. She's steady in the upland field. She under she's a just naturally a really good pointer. Now you have the bells and whistles. She knows gun range. She stays in, in gun range. She doesn't chase, and she knows when she points a bird and it's not moving, she stays there until the bird's produced. The gun the gun goes off. The bird is dropped, and then just like on the retrieves, she waits to be sent. So it's all of that. Now, when you take this home, how do you approach this? What do you do to maintain it all and to further develop it? Because this little dog has learned all the tools. She has the tool belt full of tools. She just hasn't got tons of experience doing all of these things. She's done it to some degree, but this is a thing that takes months and even sometimes years to get really, really good at. And so there's a lot of practice, to, just like with anything else. Anything else, when you graduate from uh, welding school, plumber school, law school, medical school, you're not automatically what you're going to be in 10 or 20 years. You have the tools, and now you have to go do a bunch of the learning thing. So that's where she is with all of this. So let's break it down into the components so, because it's very important that you understand things from the dog's perspective. You know, where is she? Because she's not a, a person. She doesn't think the way that you do. She doesn't, it's just very different. So you need to go into her world and understand where she's coming from, how she looks at this, and what she thinks. 
So we have basically four general aspects to this finished dog coming home. The first one is the one that trumps everything else, trumps everything else and always will. And that is your basic relationship, which is based on fundamental obedience. That's the most important thing. That's the thing to practice first. It's the place to address a lot of the problems that you might have, attitude problems that you might have. It's a great place to go to. So basic obedience doesn't just mean, well, sure, she'll walk on a leash with me and she'll heal and sit and she won't pull. It's all good. Comes when I call her. Basic obedience is where you have you establish, develop, maintain, reinforce, enhance, remind what your relationship is. And what that is, is here is your able-bodied, enthusiastic, willing, happy partner, but they aren't the captain, okay? They're one of the, one of the ones on board that's helping the captain. You're the captain. And here's where she learns that when I say something, the very first time, oops, excuse me, slight interruption, somebody knocking at the door when during, during the recording session. Um, anyway, to get back, it's, this is the place where, where she's going to learn when you say something one time, it is significant and she needs to respond to it. So you don't talk a lot, you don't have a conversation while you're doing this. This is, an obedience session will last two or three minutes. That's all. That's all because during that two or three minutes, I want 100% attention to you, your movements, and what you say. So you never, more is not better. You don't do it for 10 minutes because you want her where she's just completely tuned into you. When you say heal, which means be at my left side, she goes with you forward, backward, turning a circle. She stays at your left side. One time you say it. So then you have, and when you do the obedience, let me make sure she has the uniform on, right? The collar and a choke chain with a leash. And so you don't assume ever, I don't care, two years from now, and you're doing this stuff with her. Do not assume that she's going to do it perfectly. Instead, assume somewhere in here she's going to relax, tune me out a little bit. I'm going to be ready right then to tune her right back in by enforcing an obedience command. And here's where you teach her to hold her focus on your work and maintain her focus on your work. So that's what you're doing. So that later on when you guys are upland hunting in the most grandiose place with the most beautiful birds, your relationship is there. I'm hunting with him. If he, if he wants to do something, if he's calling me, whatever, I have to pay attention to it. We're a team. And I, you know, he won't say anything unless it's really important. And if he does, then I will respond to it. So this is, this is, you're putting it in to the bank for your future withdrawals. So whatever you say, one time she does it. Let's say you were walking along and you tell her to sit. And she just sits kind of slowly because there's some cool stuff going on over there in the field. Okay, that's, that is not responding well. She is trained that when you say sit, boom, bottom drops. So if she shows you that she's not tuning you in very much, then come in on the next sit and enforce it. You can enforce it with a pop on the bottom. You can enforce it with a jerk up on the leash. You can enforce it with a nick on the collar. But on the next one, you don't punish her for sitting slowly on this one. You go, ha, she's not really taking me too seriously. So I'm going to come in there and enforce the sit and then see after that whether she's back completely tuning in and working hard. Same with the here, collar to you. 
you know, she's got to either come in and sit in front of you if you tell her or heel over to the side, sit down square, straight. Her shoulders and hips face the same way your shoulders and hips are faced. You can walk along with her and say heel. Tell her to sit. You keep moving. She better drop it right there. Now, she does know all this stuff. So if she's not doing that, it means that she doesn't think that you're as significant as I was when I was training her and insisting that she take me very seriously. So you need to step into that same role and show her, hey, I'm not going to be unfair. I'm not going to be excessively tough. I'm not going to give you all kind of outs. Just respond to me. Because now you need to expect that out of this dog. Because she needs to respond to you in way more exciting, thrilling, dynamic places than this. So work on it here where it's very easy to do. So two or three minutes, vary it. Don't do it in the same place all the time. Do it before you go on a big hike. Do it before you go do some of your retrieving stuff or some of the other work we're going to talk about. But that's where you set the stage. You set the relationship. And the only words you need to use are hear, heal, and sit. And you can, ex you can exchange the sit with a single tweet on the whistle or the hear with a double tweet on the whistle. Mix it up. So that she knows the verbal or the whistle, either way it's safe. You've got to listen, work hard to respond, give me the best effort that you have. And because that's asking a lot, do it for several minutes, then be done, good dog. You don't have to praise her in the middle of all this. She's way, way past that, <laughs> right? She's way past that. She knows what to do, have her do it. You know, just like people don't praise you for getting, you know, driving to the store every time. It, of course you can. So of course she can do this stuff. Her praise comes for bigger, better things than this. So you can tell her, good dog, you know, this awesome, good girl. If she's not giving you her effort, make sure you ask enough. And the way you do that is by enforcing on hear, heal, or set. Whenever she tunes you out, you tune her back in that way. That's important. That's the first thing you want to do. And you want to maintain that because that's your relationship. And you're going to bank on that when things are bigger and exciting and further from you. So that's the first aspect. You can always work on that. Just make sure it's as close to perfection as you can get it with her giving you maximum effort. Okay, the next part is the retrieving. So let me, let me really simplify what retrieving is to a dog and what it needs to be when you two work together. So uh, doing a marked retrieve, a retrieve that she sees, which will be the vast majority of things that she does for you hunting. He's, these are the components to that. She is with you. Now, even in the upland field, she might be 15 yards over there or something, but, she, but in, certainly in any waterfowl, she's with you or close to you, and she is stationary. She is seated. Or if you have a lay-down blind, she's in that, but she's seated. So... They, she's seated, and when you're training, just training, she's standing next, sitting next to you on your left side. That's a sit. There's nothing else you need to say. Sit means set. So she sits, and whether you're throwing a hand-thrown bumper, whether you have somebody further out throwing bumpers for you, whether they're throwing birds, whatever it is, she sits beside you. You have her pointed in the direction she is going to do the retrieve. And she watches it go down, regardless of where, whether you threw it or someone else. She fixates on the area of the fall where it went. And you send her on her name, not the first thing out of your mouth, 
You know, because if every time you, the first thing you say is sending, she'll start to go when you say something. And what you want to do, you know, is throw it, tell her, make sure sit. You aren't forcing sit. If she were to attempt to break on you, which means you should have the little choke chain in the tab so you can prevent that in the beginning until you guys are very comfortable with each other. Don't let her commit the sin. Hold on to that little tab. Have somebody throw or throw your throw your bumper, whatever you're throwing. Reinforce with another sit. So the first thing out of your mouth is not the sin to go. And then wait a second or two. Sometimes wait a second or two. Sometimes wait four or five seconds. So it's not a pattern, a dance step you're creating. But she waits to hear the name, and she goes. So steadiness. And you don't don't allow her to break. There's prevent the problems from happening until you're real comfortable and know you don't have to do that anymore. All you do is enforce sit. If she's wanting to get up and go, she's not sitting. So don't do the no thing and all that, nah, ah, like people do. Tell her to sit and maintain that. Send her on her name. Now her job, she's fixated on the area of the fall. She is to go out there on her own and dig it up. If it's a super simple one and it's laying right out there, go scoop it up and come right back. If it's in some cover or for some reason it's a little difficult, let her work it out. The only time you would ever handle or help her out is if she's completely lost and there's no way she's going to get it. Otherwise, her responsibility to, to find that. You know, if you ever shoot a, shoot a pheasant into a big old stand of cattails, she's got to dig that out. You can't handle her, nothing. It's got to be, she's got to be convinced that it's her job to go get that. So right now, here's where you start to let her learn. It's your job. I'll stand here and wait. Sometimes I might wait five minutes if it's really hard, but don't quit until you've got it and come back. And she's pretty good about that. So when she does come back, no flybys, no victory laps, nothing. Straight back to your left side, sit down, wait for you to take it. No setting stuff down, no dropping it. And if she's in that, if you've established a good relationship in your obedience about, okay, I got to come in there and heal and sit and do that stuff, she'll be great. You won't have any bird handling problems, nothing. If your obedience is kind of loose and sloppy, you might see a little bit of loose and sloppy here. So now you know to go back to obedience and shore that stuff up. So come back in, sits down, wait, don't be in a hurry, take it. And then she has to remain seated because there's probably going to be another retrieve or something else. You don't do a big woo victory jump every time something comes out of your mouth. She just remains seated, calm. This is a professional doing her job. So expect her to be that way. We don't have to do victory laps and big jumps for joy. You know, we are very serious about what we're doing. So when you do retrieves, whether you're going to go out and do some hand thrones, whether you're going to have somebody else go throw for you. If you have nobody and you've been doing hand thrones, you can put her on a set, walk out there 150 yards, throw whatever you've got, walk back in. It's always good for you. And then send her on that if you need a long one and you don't have. You know, if you don't, you can buy launchers and stuff. People do those things. But you can walk out. It's called a poor man's throw. I do them now with dogs because then, then there's nothing to mark off and they got to get out there where it is. So they got to really focus. But when you do these, your retrieves, believe it or not, don't do more than three or four. That's it. That's it. That's it. Because in, in it's like doing obedience for two or three minutes instead of 15. We're not going to have any 
there's not going to be fatigue. There's not going to be boredom. There's not going to be, okay, another one, here I go. There's, she's going to be just fully intense and doing all of these really, really well and then stop. That's You want to start really well. You want to end even better and then end. So just no matter what, if you haven't been able to do them for a week and you're going to try and make up for it, I wouldn't do that. I've never done it with her. I don't do it with anybody. They go out and we do three, you know, maybe four if, if you got that. Done with retrieving. That way she learns something. She gets to absorb everything that happened, the experience, the tough hunt she had on the second one. All of that gets absorbed and steeps a little bit, and it's not diluted with more and more and more and more. Never good, particularly with a dog trained like this. So do three or four. Vary it if you can. Do not do them in the same place. Right? It's like dating your sister. You don't really get anything out of it. So do them in different places. Do them different uh, lengths, some short, some medium, some long. Sometime get somebody to help you so you can have a nice 250 to 300 yard mark. You know, you could have a pheasant go that far. So make sure that the distances are, she doesn't ever get habituated into anything or that she doesn't know where everything in this whole field is. And so there's nothing that's a challenge. So her mind kind of takes a step back and she's not really trying very hard. Try to avoid all that if you can. Different places, just a few. Training one dog does not take very long. So um, make sure that you are aware of all of those things. And be sure you hunt a lot so I know you understand the wind. You know, make sure that you're not running her straight into the wind on a mark because she'll wind it from way back, way far away, and then she's not really marking. She's just following her nose. So, you know, marks that are downwind, marks that are sidewind. Just make sure you're aware of her data gathering ability while she's doing this and that it's something that's, you know, not just a gimme or something that's impossible. So take that into account. Three, No more than three or four retrieves perfection in her behavior she's steady after the thing goes down you can say good shot sit beautiful day she has to wait till she hears her name and then she goes if it's a short a short mark then you would speak with a reasonably calm tone of voice if it's 300 yards out there put a little more oomph in the voice which communicates to her hey you're going to rock it out there a little bit farther that's just how she's she's sort of used to that so the obedience, almost every day, that's really good. The retrieving, if you could do it three or four times a week in ideal world, you know, and vary, vary, vary where you do it, vary someday we're just going to do some hand thrown. You know, she can do doubles and triples with that stuff, but let's, let's do the majority singles because we're not trying to, because the other stuff is just fun and cool playing with your toy. I mean, she may have multiple uh, marks out hunting, and so you can practice some of that. And when I'm going to show you, make sure. But really the emphasis is that she can mark a single extremely well. So I would put more effort into making challenging singles than I would seeing if she can count to two or three or something like that. Okay. But I'll show you how to do those things. But always make sure. And let's say you're going to just practice some little hand-thrown doubles right now. Make sure, and this will be for blind retrieves too, whenever she's retrieving, she is pointed and you are pointing where she's going to go. So on singles, that's obvious where that's going to be. If you're going to do some hand-thrown doubles, one's going to be off to the right, right? 
So you're going to face her where the last one you throw is going to be, the last bumper or bird down. She's faced that way. You throw one 45 degrees off to the right. Let her sit there for several seconds. Don't get her head swinging all over looking for multiples. Have her just staring at that. And then after three, four seconds, five seconds, now throw the one that's straight out in front of her. She is facing exactly where she's going to go. This is a very important habit to have in a dog. So on the, when now there's two out there, you can put your hand down to communicate clearly. This is the one you're going for. Not in front of her face, and I'll make sure you see that, but it's a presence out in front of her and above her, so it's not a, a, a obscuring her view at all. And so that communicates, here's where you're going, and then send her, right? So she'll go out and get that. On her way back, you now turn to face the memory bird, the first one that you threw. Always do this. Don't mix it up and trick it out. People like to do that, and then I'll tell you why you want to make this a habitual thing. So you are now facing this, the memory bird, the memory retrieve. So she's going to come in because you've done your obedience and sit squarely the same direction you are. Her hips and shoulders are going to point the same way yours are. Now she's pointed right at that memory bird. And in the beginning, you know, make sure it's something she can see so that we don't get into a mess. But you can always handle if she gets lost. Right? And then send her on her name. You don't need a hand on this one. If she's looking out saying, I got it, um, then don't you don't need to put your hand down. Hands are sometimes helpful if they're a little bit confused or something. Or it's like there's several out there to make sure that they, she goes on the one you want. So she goes and picks that up, comes back, sits down. You take it. She remains seated. You can practice throwing a diversion on her way back. I'll make sure you understand what that is. But it doesn't change the execution of each retrieve. Each one is just a single where she watches, goes and gets it, comes straight back, sits down, hands it to you, and doesn't do the dance of joy at the end. Just no need for that anymore. And so that's how you would do doubles and triples. But the key thing is that she's stable, she sits there, she waits, and she focuses on where these things go down. That's what we want. Because when you're hunting, that's what you want. Now, the reason that the order, in my opinion, is important is because she always knows she's going where she's facing. So when she's not facing the first one you throw, she kind of knows, okay, I'm, probably not, I'm not probably going there right now. I'm going, and then the second one goes down, and she gets that. That way, the dog doesn't make decisions. They don't run out there towards one and go, yeah, but I get that, that I like that one over there, it's in the water. They don't, they don't get to decide. They go where they're pointed. They get the last one down. This is how we handle it. So they don't ever think, you know, I'd really rather go get that one. I just, that one I can see it. This one is a little, it's shorter, but I can't see it. They don't do that to you. They just understand. Last one down, I get that. So you take the decision-making thing out of there. Some people like the dogs to make decisions. I don't because then they can go after one and then switch in the middle and they're over there and I've lost control of the situation and now I'm not sure I'm going to get either of those birds back. So the habit makes it very useful. So go do two, three, four retrieves. You can practice one day, maybe just go practice some hand-thrown doubles or triples, getting the mechanics of that really well understood so she knows that you guys have a rhythm between you. You have a little bit of music going between you, and you both know the tune and you both know the dance steps, and you want to work on that, um, but not for longer than, you know, those three or four retrieves. Really, that would be it. All right, that's the retrieving.
no and no effusive praise or anything else i mean you might be really enjoying it but that's like you know whatever what you do for a living and you had a good day and everybody's just in the office just having just doing dances and you know throwing parties and you're going what is that i do that every day what's with you people have you been drinking same thing you don't have to when she's doing her thing the fact that you're happy and enjoying it and then you walk back together, man, that's as rewarding to her as it is to you. It's not a little puppy anymore that we're encouraging. She's kind of a professional doing her job. That's retreats. Now we're going to talk about uh, the blind retreats. And this is a thing I know that's, that's new to you and can be kind of daunting um, because there's so many layers to this. And you want to make sure when you do this blind retreat stuff, this is for the general public listening to this, that you have a dog that has the fundamentals very strongly. They need to be have the fundamentals for this before you start running the blinds, okay? It would be like wanting to be a surgeon, but you just don't want to go through all those years of medical school and residency, so we're just going to jump into the surgery part, okay? That, that doesn't work, and it doesn't work if you don't have those the fundamentals of being forced to the back pile and being made un, made conditioned to go on the word back and then conditioned to stop on the whistle, all of that needs to be present, and it is with your dog. But I'm just saying that for other people because we're talking about a dog that has all that, and then what do you do, you know, to go practice and work on it and and enforce it and enhance it and make it better and better. So a blind retrieve is. When a dog does a retrieve for something they did not see, okay? That's what a blind retrieve is, obviously, by the name. So to prepare a dog for that, right, they learn to go on the word back. There's a lot of work on that. And, you know, and with sensitive dogs like she is, it's a dicey kind of a thing to get through that without overwhelming her or letting her get away with too much. So they go on back, right? They go on their name when they've seen it. So that means it's your job. You go find it. You hunt it up. You dig it out. You come back. When you say back, all right, now you're telling the dog, all right, you go. And when you get off course, I'm going to stop you and put you back on course again. You've got to trust me. You've got to take my directions. You've got to go when I send you. You've got to stop when I stop you. And then you've got to go make your best effort to go in the direction that I'm sending you again. She's not a robot. She will not be perfect. She will get better and better and better with practice. So that's what, and I'm going to show you lining drills. So uh, for a new person doing this, and that's where we have bumpers spread out in front of us. Not, I don't do baseball. Um, I don't do that. I'm not going to do that stuff here. I do casting drills. Um, but I don't have this, you know, regulation thing out there. I like to respond to how the dog's thinking and what they do. But it will, and I'll show you casting drills, but we're going to have white bumpers and some orange too. I have a 10-point drill that I just love. But we'll have white bumpers out there, and we'll be facing, and, and we're not going to mix it all up and get the third one, then the first one, then this one over here. I like to go kind of sequentially. That's how she's trained. So we'll get the one on the left. We'll point her directly at it. Put your hand down. It's only... 30 feet out there, 40 maybe, and you say back, and she goes to the one she's looking at, picks it up, comes back. Now we're going to pick up the next one. You're squared up, lined up with that one. She lines up with you. Now she's facing it. So that's a very good place to practice the mechanics of sending a dog on a specific line uh, and having them trust your hand and their body direction and go. 
and you need to practice that stuff and not by doing it five times but by doing it today and tomorrow and the next day and you know every day if you want or most days because you just get better and better at it but doing it five times not a thing don't do that that's just doing the same algebra problem over and over and over and you start to you know get where they're bored and they're like what what's the point because you've reached you know where they've gotten something good out of it and that's where you want to stop not where you fall over the cliff and they're starting to go oh man what's that over there i wish we weren't doing this anymore don't ever don't ever do that optimize the learning and stop so we'll do that and we'll do casting drills and not all sophisticated all kind of angles but sit in front of me when I put up my left hand, you turn to your right. When I put up my right hand, you turn to your left. If I give you an over, you kind of take it. There won't be a lot of overs in our life because we want to make progress at the blind. So we'll do some angle backs. But you just want to turn in the right way and going in general the right direction and trusting your cast. So those are casting and lining drills are two good things to do frequently for the dog's whole life. And you start with them being very simple and easy to do. And then we start making them tighter and more challenging, particularly the lining drills. Um, should they get very good at casting, running a lot of blinds. I like that way more than the drill in the yard because the drill in the yard doesn't have weird terrain, cover all kind of stuff, all the influences that they've had when they're out there. That's a great place to, to work on the, uh, the casting practice. But the lining drills are real good. So that's something I'll show you. That's something you can do all the time can't do all of these at the same time all right that's like you know going to school and taking all your classes in the first hour um, you're not going to learn near as much as if it's spaced out the way it's supposed to be so you map that out every day now she's getting kind of wild and crazy let's emphasize more obedience and more of the drill stuff if she's getting kind of you know kind of down a little bit then let's do some of the retrieving and some of the bigger stuff it's a little more dynamic so that's one of the ways you gauge what you're doing on that so then when you're starting to feel comfortable sending on back and lining the dog up and giving cast all cast by the way and i will already have told you this but all casts everybody are in the plane of your body and I'll, it's very good to practice in front of the mirror in your bedroom or in your house it is i don't care how smart and accomplished a human being you are when you get emotional and you're frustrated and you're running a blind and you can't get them to drive back and you put up that back cast and you're basically shoving the hand forward so it's not going very high and they can't see it very well because the further out they are, the more difficult that is to see, just geometry. All your casts need to be straight up, straight out to the side. Very, That's the maximum visibility you can have. And when you're getting emotional or frustrated or whatever it is, you need your hand to still go to the right place instead of be more emotional and shove or move or punch at something. Um, so that's something you want to practice. So now you've done some of those things. You've done some casting. All right, now we're going to go start practicing blind. So in the beginning, because she has done all of her training in my training areas, and she knows my stuff, and she understands, oh, I know what we're going to do over here. I know what this probably is. When she goes home, she has the home memories. She has the fields and the places that you have and all the hikes and the wonderful things that happened there. No context. No context at all for the blinds. So now we are going to have to give context here in a new place, a new thing with someone she's never done this stuff with before. 
So scope out a really nice area, you know, a meadow, a field, something where you've got a little bit of room because these things cannot be like a lining grilled fairly close to each other. Uh, you know, when I, I, okay, I would say have one be 75, 50, 75 yards, next one be 125, the other one be 250 yards. Okay, always do three or more, never do one. Never do one because then they think you only do this one time and then you're done. So we want them to be good at blinds. So you're going to go out and you've got a nice field and it's got a little angle to it. It's got some snow, goes down into a little draw and then comes back up a little bit. There's something to it. So and if you have a flat field, that's okay too. But then you don't know what they're going to do, you know, when they got some terrain going in there. But flat fields are good. You're going to have three bumpers, right? Three bumpers. And generally you use orange, so it's not a big white thing. So you teach them to look for white things <laughs> all the time. But you're going to walk out there with three bumpers. And you kind of, one more thing I got to make sure. The wind is a big factor. As you know, that's how dogs, what they use to find things and locate things. So dogs, you don't want to run directly into the wind. Because then she could win this thing from 75 yards away. And now we're not running a blind anymore. We're just hunting up with our nose. And that's anything you want to do in here. So the easiest thing for a dog to do is run with the wind, downwind. Because everything, every, every territory is new. So your first one is going to be, if you have a breeze, it's going to be downwind. That's the easiest thing for a dog. And then your next one may be 45 degrees or a little more even over to one direction. So now we've got a little bit of a crosswind on that. It's natural for dogs to run downwind. So dogs learn to deal with crosswind. And this is where you begin teaching that in addition to all the other stuff. So you got a short one, the one at 75 yards, the first one downwind. And then the next one is 150, a little bit of a crosswind. And then you got another one past that 150 that's fairly crosswind now. You know, if it's a high wind, be careful. Don't do this in high wind stuff. It's very wind and animals, you know, they kind of hide when it's windy. So, but you got a breeze, so it's going to be crosswind. So that's going to be the hardest one. So do the shorter ones first and go to long because that's kind of helps you build momentum. And, but what you're going to do is you're going to walk out and I'd walk out. We'll do the, we're going to plant the long one first. So she's with you. You got your three bumpers and you're going through the field and she's happy. And you get out to where that third one's going to be, the long one. And you sit, make sure, either mark it with something or, and it's so even okay if the markers help her in the beginning. You could tie a little orange ribbon on something or put it by the big fir tree right in front of it. But trust me, because when you go, oh, this looks like a good spot and you get back, you're going, where was that? <laughs> I don't know where that is. It, I guarantee I still do stuff like that after all this time. So make sure that you identify exactly where it is, including at this point, put a big ribbon right there. You know, and if that helps her, all the better for now. So go out to where the third one's going to be. Toss it down. Even let her go pick it up one time. Get it. Toss it back down and move so she knows something's out there. And now we're going to go to where your second one is. It's going to be shorter. It's a little less crosswind. So you're going to walk, 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 walk. These aren't related to each other. They're not real close, so there can be any confusion in the beginning. You can't have tight stuff because she won't even understand that. These have to be very separate. So walk over. This one's going to be shortened up. Find a good spot. Mark it by something, the big dead tree or put a ribbon or something and 
put toss it there let her pick that one up too put it back and then walk over to where your shorter one is toss it down walk straight back on the line you're going to run you know from wherever your starting spot is so walk back and you know she's and she knows there's bumpers out there especially that last one right and she knows they're there so now you're going to walk back to a starting place this needs to be in a good downwind blind if you got the breeze you're going to line her up perfectly straight at it now you need to have that same, her obviously live collar on, choke chain and the little tab. Now she's gonna wanna bust off or something, I don't know. That's why I, with your right hand, she's on your left side. Okay, you have your whistle in your mouth. You gotta make that a habit because you gotta be able to blow quick. She runs fast when she's running fast, right? So your whistle's in your mouth, your transmitter's hanging right around your neck. You've got in your right hand, you're holding onto that tab and you can kind of cue her. What she's used to is dead bird. Okay, that means, okay, it's out there. And you just haven't seen it, so I'm going to send you. That's what dead bird means. Say dead bird. She's going to want to rock it off on that. That's why you hold the tab. Sit. Put your hand down. Again, don't obscure her vision, but it's like, here's the line that I'd like you to take, like we've been doing on our lining drills. And you say back. Okay, and she'll, presumably she'll see that and take it off. But when she gets... You don't want to handle her a million times, but when she's kind of, whoa, starting to veer way off to the right, stop her. Turn around and she's going to look at you. Take a breath. Give a good cast. And, and not a herky-jerky, super fast, energetic, crazy one. You want to give a cast just like you want her to go. Just I call it zen casting. Just like I was handling you to your car keys out there. Stop. And I would put my hand up exactly. If it's 30 degrees or 45 degrees to the left, my hand comes up like that, and I might move it twice, to move my hand twice to read. This is to give the cast twice. You know, it's, she's not a robot. You're having a conversation with her. So I'm going to put my hand up 45 degrees. I might bring my hand back down, put it back up. Here, this is the direction I want you to go. Okay, so, and she might take the right cast, and she might go the other direction. Because <laughs> they're like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, and that's not a bad dog or anything else. It's just a dog going, I'm not sure what we're doing out here. <laughs> and you're going to have weeks of that, weeks of that. And it slowly goes away. So be prepared for who knows what, um, confusion and all that kind of stuff. And if she goes the wrong way, you stop her. Maybe move a little bit closer. So here's some of the things that can happen. And this is very important. When you are running blinds with a dog new to running blinds there's two uh, absolute cast you know sent down from the mount things that dogs must do running blind the absolute rules are you must go when I say back and the other rule is you must sit when I blow the sit whistle you must stop you can never let either one of those things ever erode you have to have that you must go and you must stop. So what I'm going to talk about is potential problems you could have with this. So a no-go, that's what it's called, no-go. If you were to be, you know, you're holding on to a tab so she can, and you put your hand down and say back, and she just sits there. Now, that's not a problem she has, but that doesn't mean every dog on a, someday is going to do that. And it, when they get confused sometimes or they're somewhere new or you're different from me in the beginning. So, you know, she's kind of like, I don't know what we're doing, right? That could happen. Do not, it doesn't excuse not going, right? 
there's no excuse for not going. If you clearly put your hand down and said back, she needs to go. So don't make any excuses. Well, the car door slammed or something. I, it doesn't matter. She needs to go. So what you do when a dog who is forced correctly doesn't go on a marked retrieve or a blind retrieve, you have to be ready. Every time I run any dog on a blind, any time, any day, I am ready with in case they don't go. Because as soon as they do that, I am going to respond immediately by forcing movement. Because when a dog does not go, they are not moving when you told them to. So I am going to force movement that I, they can understand to get them to go. So here's what happened. All right, you put your hand down and say, dead bird, back. She just sits there. All right, you have the transmitter in your hand. And my transmitter goes from one to eight. So for her, I, uh, for this, I would have it on a three or a four, depending how fired up she was. But three or four, kind of a, a lower. Not Don't go one and two on any of this stuff. Right? Don't do that because that's not enough of a consequence for her to take very seriously. So you, you've got it. You've got on the continuous button, the hold down button. Or the, you can hit the nick fast and fast. But I, I like the continuous button on that. So you said back and she sat there you have the transmitter in your hand you say the word heel which is of course you know be at my left side and you walk forward about six feet saying heel holding the continuous button down on a three and stop so let me and it's let me explain right so she didn't go so you forced her to move on heel by saying heel, moving forward about six feet with continuous collar pressure. Not at a boat rocking level, but at a very annoying level. So she's going to want to go the next time. Right? That's very important to understand. All right, so you said back, she didn't go. You say heel, you hold down the continuous button on a, on a mid-low setting. You walk forward, hold it down until you walk your about six feet tell her to sit again hand off the button pressure's gone put your hand down and say back she will go if for any reason she didn't turn it up one notch do the very same thing heel hold the continuing this button down on a slightly higher setting walk forward four five six feet tell her to sit put your hand down and say back and she will go that's what you do you have to be ready if you're just sitting there kind of mind on four things Put your hand down and say back and she just looks at you and you go oh no what was i supposed to do all right you'd lost the entire control of the whole situation she just refused she got away with it that means she's going to do it again so that's a thing to be prepared for so when she if she ever doesn't go again you're immediately forcing movement going you gotta go and then she will and that problem will just go away it's not a problem i have with her but I don't know, new environment, new stuff, new person that's not as confident, what she'll do. Be prepared for no-goes 100% of the time for the next, always, but certainly for the next couple months before hunting season. All right, so that's how you take of the sin of not going, take care of it. Now, when she's going and you've got to, she's, you've got to change her direction, if she's going perfect, don't stop her. Now, you will have seen me do that on the pattern blinds. Because I'm just teaching her to be handled. But when they are going on a, on a blind retrieve and you stop them, that's your way of saying, okay, I'm going to change your direction. 
So they're going to change direction. And if she was going to the right spot and you stopped her, you're going to have a very hard time getting her to the right spot. And a lot of times people don't understand that. They just they got an etch-a-sketch out there. Okay, we're going this direction. Whoop, let's change direction. You, you got a living thing out there that has a target in its mind. And when you stop it, you just said, that's not it. You're going to have to change direction. So it's very hard when you stopped them and they were going nicely to the right spot to get them back there again because you just told them no. And then when you go, no, wait, go over there, then they don't trust you anymore. So consistency is very important here. But when you need to change direction, you blow that sit whistle. She needs to stop, turn around, and look at you. Okay? She likes to lay down a little bit, a little bit of her dramatic thing. I'm fine with that. That's going to stop when she gets a lot more confidence. If she were to sit slowly or not stop, which is the other sin in this thing, right? That's when you blow that sit whistle, she has to stop. Now, using the sit whistle in your obedience instead of just the verbal sit, you can also intersperse it with the sit whistle and enforce maybe a little bit sometimes. Okay, so that she knows that you can enforce the sit. Okay, that's important. That's another good thing for your basic obedience. You can walk along, tweak, blow that whistle. She needs to sit. You can enforce it with a little bit of a nick on the collar. Again, a low thing on that. Not a one or a two, but a low thing. When, in, in, when she's out there and she's either not sitting or sitting slowly or giving you, you know, 30% effort, okay, that's not okay. So what you do when they're not sitting or just acting like they don't care is... You don't punish them for that slow sit. What you do now is you're going to enforce this sit, just as if she were by your side. So if you tweet and she just sort of slowed down or I don't what did whatever, you are going to got the transmitter in your hand. You've got and on this one we'd be up four or five on my one to eight. That's where we would be because this is a little more. You got to do it. You got to do it right now. So uh, if she sat slowly or didn't sit. I would blow the whistle again, tweet, nick, tweet. So I bracket the enforcement with the command. Again, I'll say that again. So she showed me a slow sit. And maybe she finally did sit down. Well, I'm not going to just get her right there. I'm going to send her again. And the next time I sit her, blow the sit whistle, I'm not going to give her a chance to decide if she wants to do it quickly or not. Right? The next time I'm going to tweet, nick, tweet. I just told that dog. You better sit. So that's what you do. And it's not very hard, and she's very good at that stuff. But if she starts to, like, do a little lope and turn to turn around and look at you, that's not sitting. All right, keep it very clear. Tweet, sit. Back, go. Just like that. It's not a time-dependent thing. It's a now thing. So one further problem, and I suspect you'll have this when you're doing some of these things, one further problem you'll have on this blind stuff is say you did that and you nicked her on a sit and she's in a new field and there's weird mulberry bushes around here and something smells funny and you stop her and then you give her a right cast back and she just sits there. You give the right cast again and this time don't give verbals on these things because if you give verbals when you're casting dogs then they need a visual and an auditory or they won't go. Just the visual is enough. But you can try the verbal because she was forced with a verbal on back. Right? So you can try, not, not forcing her, but just say, put your hand up again the right back and say back. 
Now, maybe she'll go because she said something. Maybe she just sits there. All dogs learning to run blinds well do this stuff. All dogs, superstars, national champions, everybody. And her mom, her dad, they all did that. So she has famous mom and dad, of course. So if that happens, if she gets out there and she just sort of seizes up, because that's a very natural thing to do, if she seizes up, then you need to have uh, some pot rocks or dirt cloth or something in your pocket. And also maybe a bumper in your back pocket too. Um, so when you go out there, when you start beginning this beginning cold blind stuff, some rocks in your pocket and a bumper in your back pocket. And this is why. So she just went out there and just seized up. She's just stuck there. And, and she's not being a bad dog. She's not being belligerent. She's just like frozen. I don't know what's happening. And the mind just shuts off. It just, that happens because this is such an unnatural thing for a dog to be doing. So that happens. And she's 70 yards out there. Then walk out there till you're, I don't know, close enough that you can pull that rock out of your pocket and throw it in the direction behind her that she needs to go to take the cast you're giving. If that makes sense, all right? So you're going to throw that rock on the line that she needs to take to to continue toward the blind retreat. So she's look, make sure she's looking at you, obviously. Take that rock out of your pocket. Tell her to sit. Roll and sit whistle. Either one, sit. Throw that rock back behind her to the right. Now cast her. She's probably going to go. Now, she's going to go look for the rock or whatever you threw. Okay, and then continue handling. Tweet, and but you broke her out of that seized up thing. If something like a dirt clot or a rock doesn't work, one thing that absolutely works is, and I don't use this most, of, I, and I haven't ever used it with her, but I, there are some dogs I've had to. So I threw the rock, boop, she doesn't go. She's still just seized up. So now I'm going to pull the bumper out of my pocket. Tell her to sit. I'm going to throw the bumper into that spot. And then I'm going to cast her to the bumper. And fairly quickly, too. She's going to go get that. Like, okay, there it is. Whew. And and her mind is coming back. So she's going to go pick, go out there, meet her. Right? Don't let her come all the way back to you. Go out there, meet her. She picks up the bumper. Take it out of her mouth. Tweet. And now continue to run the blind. Put it back in your pocket. That's one of the absolute ways to break them out of kind of seizing up. Now, some days when you go do these three or more blinds, some days she's going to line two of them and be just amazing. And you're going, this is incredible. This is way easier than she said. And then you're going to come out another day and she's going to seize up on all three of them. And then she's going to try running in on one of them. You stop her. Don't let her do it. If you got to move toward her, whatever it is, don't let that dig in. She's going to do like crazy weird stuff. And you're going to think, what's wrong with this dog? It's when, when you've never seen this before, you know, it's it's like very disturbing. But it's part of the deal. That's why I'm doing this podcast. So if she seized up on two of them and on one of them started running back, she's just in some kind of weird girl panicky thing, which cannot work for her. You don't need to get upset. You don't need to get mad or mean or anything. You just have to go, oh, it's going to be one of those days. And... If you have to be walking out with her all the way out to these blinds, helping, casting, staying close, do it. You know, because there's, you're going to have days like that. But if you can do this, go out and run three or four blinds. If you could do this several times a week, 
in a month, you will you you won't even recognize where you are. Suddenly, you don't you are you now you just go put bumpers out. She doesn't see where they are. As soon as she starts doing this where she knows where they are, then quit quit taking her with you. Leave her in the vehicle. Go plant your blinds out there. Make sure you know where they are. Come back and start running her. Then we'll get a little bumpier there for a minute, but not for very long. Until pretty soon, you can come out and put them out, and you're getting her to all of them. And there's no weird, crazy, weird stuff. But that takes a couple months of doing this. So if you could invest, and you know, this is going to take, what, half hour, 45 minutes out of your time, depending on how far if you have to drive somewhere. And then, you know, do some across your pond or in the pond, because she does that too. But just the practice, that's what does it. She wasn't reprogrammed and will now do this mindlessly, right? She is a female thinking, feeling, sometimes odd, sometimes overly sensitive, sometimes wildly gung-ho. It's going to be all over the place. That's why after you finish today and it was an insane day, go out tomorrow or the next day in another place, do it again. Another kind of thing. Pretty soon you will have that dog run blinds like her mother and father did, do, which is fantastically. But they also, I could tell stories on them about how crazy they were. And how, boy, we had seize up days and panic days and weird days and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they, because they just keep doing it, they became fantastic at it. And she will too. So that's a thing you can practice a lot uh, with that. Last thing, this is getting very long. Last thing is the upland stuff. I just want to make sure you understand that. Needs to be the two of you. You guys, and you already said this, this needs to be the two of you going places and really getting together on what this is before you actually have the big hunting stuff. He, and here's the rules. Here's the rules in the upland field for a finished pointing lab, in my opinion. One, she stays in your gun range. She moves through this, the field at a speed that is reasonable for you to do all day while you're doing this. She will just have to stay with you because if she's way out in front of you, and you can't get there, it's not very useful, even as good a pointer as she is. It's just, you just teach her to stay with you. Okay, do that by walking through. Go some fields up where you live. Just walk through the field. I do it carrying a wooden gun. It's just so to develop that understanding. And you know the deal, hup, she'll change direction. If she's not paying attention to you, hup, nick. And she will immediately do that. She's very, very good at that. Stay with you. Go the direction you want. Obviously, she's going to use the wind. She's going to not be, she's not going to go hunt somewhere where there wouldn't be a bird. So you can't get upset if she's not up on the big blank field of nothing. But teach her to, to go with you and stay, all right? So gun range is one thing that is a, is a, a rule. And if she's getting into some birds and needs to get ahead while you're hunting, you know that. Then let her do it. But teach her that hurts her responsibility to look out where you are and stay with you. The other rule is no chasing anything, no chasing rabbits, no chasing porcupines, no chasing deer, no chasing birds. She's far. She's not a puppy anymore. She's far enough along. She knows that deal. It doesn't matter if a hen pheasant flies up that you can't shoot or whether you just missed or whatever. She doesn't chase any bird that you didn't drop. And she doesn't chase that either. You send her on that. So there is no bird chasing. She is fully de-chased. 
However, when you guys start getting together, she's going to find out if that rule applies with you 100% of the time. So just like on the other stuff we've done, be prepared for her to find out what your rules are. She isn't just going to automatically go, oh, he wants whatever Julie wants. I don't know exactly what she'll do. But she's going to find out if you have the same rules. So what you do, if for any reason she was to chase after a, a skunk or chase after a, you know, a bird running on the ground, you don't yell no, you don't say anything, you call her to you with enforcement pressure. Lip, lip, you know, here or tweet, tweet with pressure on the collar. And not just a little bit, but can, you know, bonk, 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 nick, 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 nick. So there's a consequence for her committing a sin she knew was a sin. All right, we're not, we're not training her right now. She knows this. So there has to be a consequence if she goes, I think I can chase stuff with him. You call her with the whistle or a verbal here, and you have the nicks along the way. So there's a consequence, and she's going to go, not chasing again. That's important. She cannot chase. Because chasing is how dogs get shot and how dogs get involved with another dog they shouldn't be, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no chasing. So the two of you alone practice that. When she goes on point, and you know she's a very good pointer. When she goes on point, if the bird's moving around, she's not going to just stand there on point because the bird's moving. So you can tell by how she is if there's a bird, if she's starting to kind of push it, and it's you're going to lose it then call her off that push if she you know she needs to learn to go around the other side and if she's going to push it push it back towards you but if the bird's moving she'll tell you but if the bird is kind of holed up in some cover somewhere or something she's going to stay there don't walk up behind her because that just pushes the dog it just pushes them and later when they get real experienced you can walk anywhere you want but on on her with this new steadiness all right just come in from the side so she sees you keep your eye on her and if she's, she knows it, and she's well broken, so she knows she's not supposed to move. If she looks like she's thinking about moving, give her a whoa. And that's not something you bell her, right? You bell her something, she probably want to sit down, or I, she just turned away and run over to you going, I'm sorry, I thought I was doing the right thing. So you just say a very calm whoa, which tells her, don't move, you're done. You're done. You don't stop a dog with whoa. You don't do that. You just remind them, you're done now. Remember that you stay there. So then if somebody else produces the bird or you produce the bird, you have that whistle in your mouth and, and the gun and the shot collar, <laughs> but have that whistle in your mouth. So this is just like running the mark retrieves that you practice. Exactly the same in your mind. All right, this bird is going to come up. It's going to get shot and dropped, and you stay here until I send you. And so you need to have that sit whistle. You enforce that sit whistle. She's had that. She knows it. I'm going to bet when she's out hunting and there's a lot of people and dogs, she's going to try to see if all those rules go out the window because there's a lot of competition. And I, I make her be seated. Don't have other people's uncontrolled dogs around so they're going to ruin all of her retrieves when she's doing everything perfect. I need you to be a complete dog snob. When she's doing everything perfect, don't let somebody's dog come over there and grab the, the bird out of from her point or go grab a retrieve. Don't hunt with them with you. They can just be further away. But have her be steady. If you need to, for her to go early because you wing something and it's going down, but it's going to be 350 yards out there, send her. So you, it's versatile that way. But if there's crazy people and everybody's shooting, we don't want her going after anything. So enforce that sit whistle. 
that's what you do. And the upland field really is that simple. And you got to keep that clear in your mind and keep other people's dogs from messing yours up. So that's it. Um, that's a lot. But those are the components. Keep a good balance of them. If she's getting all a little wild and out of hand, emphasize the drills and the obedience. If she's getting a little down, then go do the walks through the field. Um, go do the retrieving part because that's just fun and she's extremely good at that. You know, and, and then pr practice those blinds a lot. The more you do, the better she'll be. And then you guys will be like not only playing the same music but dancing the same dance steps. And it is one of the great pleasures in the world. And you have a dog that can do that for you. So that's today's thing. I'll have on the next one, we'll have another G update and kind of get back on regular stuff. But I just think that's very important for a, a long-term wonderful client and a really special dog. Uh, I want them to be real successful, so I hope this is helpful. Hope everybody's having a good summer. G and I will be back soon.